Hello, hello, y'all. Hey, it's me, Robin. And before we get into today's episode, I'm here to let you know that the club is open right now for new members. I'm going to take a couple minutes to fill you in on all that the club is offering right now. So if you know for sure you're not interested in joining the club, you're just going to want to hit the forward button a few times until you hear that baffling behavior show jingle. Okay, so the club is a virtual community for families of kids with vulnerable nervous systems and big baffling behaviors. Many families in the club are parenting kids with a history of complex trauma, but definitely not all. Some are parenting kids with vulnerabilities that emerge from their neurotype or their sensory system or their giftedness or their neuroimmune disorder. And of course, some have no idea why their child's nervous system is so vulnerable. The primary purpose of the club and why I've created it the way that I have is connection and co-regulation. Because when I reflect back on my time as a therapist, it wasn't the skills and strategies and tools and techniques I taught parents that mattered the most. What mattered most was how connection and co-regulation strengthened their owl brain so that they could stay more regulated in the face of the chaos in their home. Then they could, number one, actually use the tools, and number two, start to feel a little bit better even before the tools started to work. The club can be accessed online both through your browser on your computer and through an app. And it's open, of course, 24-7. There's a very active forum, a huge video library, and multiple live events every month. Sometimes I teach a masterclass on a specific topic. Sometimes we come together for group coaching or just to ask questions and pick, pick my brain. We have two sessions every month called Connect and Co-Regulates, and those are designed to offer exactly that. There's no teaching, no coaching, just a place for you to be seen and heard by people who get it. Currently, we are also offering once a month bonus sessions for siblings of dysregulated kids. The club is intended to be kind of like a buffet. There is a ton in it, not because you're supposed to do everything in the club. You take what you need when you need it and come back when you're ready for more. If you could use a little extra support, consider joining us. You can read all about all the details over at robingobel.com slash the club. I'll put a link in the show notes And we're open today until the end of the day, Friday, May 3rd. All right, y'all, here's that episode you're waiting for. Hello, hello. It's me again, Robin, the host of the Parenting After Trauma podcast. Maybe we're meeting now for the first time, or maybe you've listened to all 52 episodes. Can you all believe we're at episode 52? That's wild. But whatever it is, I'm thrilled you're here. Today, you get to hear from my very dear friend and colleague, Marty Smith. Marty is the first repeat guest on the podcast, and it's going to be pretty easy to understand why. She is one of my favorites, like favorite everything. Marty once told me that her husband describes her not as someone who thinks outside the box, but as someone who looks around and says, wait, what? There was a box? And I think this is just the perfect description of Marty. 
hold on for just a few more minutes and you'll see exactly what her husband meant when he said that. I'm Robin Goble, the founder and host of the Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate that for parents of kids who have experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who've experienced trauma and their families. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even taught the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a certificate program. I started this podcast on a whim with the intention to get you free, accessible support as fast as possible. So the podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing. It's pretty common to hear cock-a-doodle-doo in the background. And some of you let me know that that's kind of your favorite parts. If you love this episode, add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player, and then please share with your friends and colleagues. After you do that, head over to my website and get the free ebook I wrote all about the brilliance of attachment. Readers of the ebook are saying that not only is the book beautifully laid out and easy to read, but it's offering a perspective on attachment that they've never heard before and that that's shifting things for them. You can download the ebook for free at robingobel.com slash ebook. While you're on my website, definitely check out my calendar of upcoming trainings for both parents and professionals at robingobel.com slash training. And holy moly, y'all be on the lookout for something pretty epic that I'm about to announce. It's going to start in January, but I'll be announcing it way sooner than that. So you can get all excited about it and decide if you're going to join me. Today's episode with Marty Smith is sponsored by The Club, my virtual community of connection, co-regulation, and of course, a little education for parents of kids impacted by trauma. Right now, The Club is preparing to open our doors again to new members, which we do every three or four months. The Club was an idea I had last year in 2020 that has far exceeded what I ever thought would be possible. And that is only because of the extraordinary parents and caregivers and professionals who make up the very fabric of the club. The way they bravely show up for each other and themselves have exceeded what I even thought was possible. If you need to feel seen, to be gotten and understood, we would love to have you. In October, we'll be kicking off a three-month journey into strengthening the foundation of the brain. We'll be taking some of the ideas you've learned in this podcast series and making them practical and applicable in your everyday life with your kids and also yourself, because I know I could use a little brain stem strengthening myself. If you head to robingobel.com slash the club, you'll be able to add yourself to the waiting list and then be the first to know when we open up. The club will open for a week and just in time for you to join us on the strengthening the foundation of the brain journey. Marty was a guest on the podcast many months ago. And just as a side note, how did my podcast get old enough to say many months ago about anything? (laughs) That's so amazing. In this episode, Marty and I dive deep into her unique approach to providing occupational therapy to kids who have experienced trauma. I won't keep you waiting any longer. Let's just go. Marty, welcome back to the podcast. You are my first repeat guest. So. What? <laughs> Thank you. Oh I my God, that's fun. That that's is fun. And we talked about that, you know, in the first interview we did about how, I mean, man, I could have you on like 
40 more times and we would never run out of things to talk about. In fact, I told my husband like, well, I'm going to be talking with Marty. So I'm going to go for a while. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but specifically in the middle of this, like building and strengthening the foundation of the brain series that I'm doing here, you of course were like first person I even thought of Marty, of course has to, has to come on. So with your, you know, your expertise and obviously occupational therapy is your, your job out in the world, but then also, (laughs) you know, all the other pieces you bring to that as the very unique occupational therapist that you are and your work with the child trauma Academy. Yes. Like I said, obvious choice. So tell my listeners, remind them like who you are, what you do and specifically, you know, in regards to strengthening the foundation of the brain, how that fits into your life. I, well, I love neuroscience. Yes. (laughs) I love the brain Mm -hmm. and I love trying to uh, kind of be the detective of what is going on here. You know, what is, what is the biology behind the behavior, you know, and and what is the the foundation of, of what's going on, what needs are not being met. I think that's where Dr. Cross said that I'm really good at, you know, seeing the need and meeting the need. And so, you know, not only trying to figure out what's going on, but figuring out, well, how do we, how do we remediate that? And I think that's where the occupational therapy comes in is because we're very activity driven. Mm -hmm. And as an occupational therapist, we do this thing called activity analysis, where we look at the whole big picture and then we break it down by steps or short-term goals or small increments. And then we say, oh, you know, that's kind of the the, the cog in the wheel, or that's the, you know, I, I don't know if it's the hitch in the giddy up. It just sounds good. I don't know if that's correct grammar, but, <laughs> but I'll say that sometimes. And then we look back and we're like, okay, well then what can we do for that? And, and an easy example I would give someone is if someone can't make toast, right? Yes. Like, you know, if they can't make toast, well, is it because they've got the setting on the toaster too high? Is it because they can't use their fingers to open the bread? Is it because they can't lift their arm over their head to access the bread? Like just making toast when we break it down, there's so many components to that. And with anything with a child, you know, they won't drink out of anything but a red cup. (laughs) Okay. Well, why is that? Is that because you always keep the red cup in a certain place that's more accessible for them? Is it your biases to the red cup? You know, so as the OT, I'm really good at looking at the whole situation and trying to break down what specific thing is maybe causing everything else to domino. And then, you know, when you talked about the Child Trauma Academy, which is now being switched over to the neurosequential model of therapeutics. And, and I think that better describes it too, because it's that neuro sequential. It's the things happen in sequence. And again, I'll pull in my OT background in that when we do physical rehab and I'm working on a traumatic brain injury, or I'm working on a stroke, there's a, there's a specific sequence in which, um, uh, neuro, neuro sequential thing. There's a sequence in which the neurons will regenerate or uh, rehab, if you will. So, you know, if someone had a stroke, I'm not going to work on finger dexterity before I work on shoulder stability, because even if you can move your fingers, if you don't have the stability at your shoulder, your arm is still going to be unfunctional. And so that's what we kind of do. And I bring that into that pediatric setting and the trauma setting of we still, the brain still heals in that sequence. And it's still 
functions in that sequence. And that's where I love talking to you. And you and I have become really good personal and professional friends because we both really understand how the body has structural stability, such as, you know, we, we call it, you know, proximal stability before distal mobility. So that basically means my core has to be strong before my extremities can be moving and, um, you know, dexterous, right? But the brain is the same way. We have to have the, the bottom of the brain, the brain stem, the limbic system, the diencephalon, those have to be structured in a way that can support the cognitive functioning as we get into the frontal and the prefrontal cortex. And so that's the same thing. You know, the body is set up in a very sequential pattern. And and so when you understand that as someone who deals with rehab, like I do, that's the basis for things. I can't work on these cognitive skills if the child is not comfortable in their body, if they're moving around, you know, and and we'll just take an example of like, if I'm so nervous in the room that I'm constantly scanning with my eyes to make sure that I'm safe, I can't read this little book that you put in front of me because my eyes are already very busy making sure that I feel safe. And so you know, kind of what my specialty is through, you know, studying the the TBRI, the trust-based relational intervention, as well as the neurosequential model that Dr. Perry has created. It's that, okay, as an OT, how do I go in and say, okay, I need to look at those lower brain structures and, or more primitive or more functional, more foundational brain structures. And I have to make those rehabbed before I can help therapists and people that are doing more cognitive work get into that. And then my my particular specialty is how do I work with those therapists to teach them how to do that? And that's what I wrote the book for was, you know, and, and it's simple things. I was talking with a, a psychotherapist yesterday and I said, you know what, why don't you just spin the child, you know, let them get on your office chair and spin around for maybe 30 seconds before you try and talk to them. And then that would help reorganize that vestibular system. And she's like, can I do that? I'm like spinning in an office chair. There's no, uh, you know, domain, like, uh, what do you call it? Therapeutic domain or like OTs don't own spinning. (laughs) Like, yes. And jumping, you know, things that you see a toddler do on a couch, you can do in your therapy room without having risk, you know, like I'm crossing the line. It's like, no, this kid was doing that in your, in your waiting room. You're just helping them do it in a bit, a better specific manner to help them feel better. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, so much of what you've said, I'm like, okay, yes, let's talk about that. Yes, let's talk about that. But that in particular, (laughs) I want every therapist, like every mental health therapist to like, go back, press rewind. I know you don't press rewind anymore, but you know what I mean? And here you say that again, like nobody owns spinning. Nobody owns the, you know, that the, the very question implies that as a mental health community, we have like dissociated the body and, and somehow convinced ourselves that we aren't skilled or because, you know, allowed to uh, bring the body into the therapy room, which I think just goes back to these beliefs that somehow the mind and the body are, are separate and they're not, they're not. (laughs) And so the first, so that's the first thing I want to say, everyone pause, go back. Now, now learn a little bit about the body and know kind of what you're looking at at least, but 
uh, you know, one of, it's one of the things, you know, I think you and I clicked so instantly. And I think because of that, because both of us have no pretenses about like who's in whose lane, right? Yeah. It's like, no, it's we a can really all. Highway. It's like an it's eight a, lane highway. <laughs> totally, totally an eight lane highway. So, okay. So then the other thing I want to, to re-highlight what you just said was, okay, let's look all the examples you gave of a behavior we might see that would lead us to like looking at some sort of, I would call like a physical etiology as opposed to like a mental health etiology. Right. Mm -hmm. But how quickly they can overlap and to make sure that we're not, you know, looking at everything and those of us in the mental health world. And I also think so many parents, when they see behavioral problems, the first thing they see is therapist. They think therapist, like mental health therapist. Do I need a, you know, therapy, therapeutic intervention to help this behavior problem. And so when I think about the kid that's, you know, hypervigilant and therefore constantly scanning the environment and therefore not, you know, doing their schoolwork. And then I think about how could that come out behaviorally? It could come out like opposition. It could come out labeling this child work avoidant, you know, if in the kind of right, but wrong, like child teacher pair that could look like the child and the teacher fighting with each other and the teacher punishing, and then the child getting more oppositional or defiant or even aggressive. And so how important it is to, even when we see behaviors that we would class kind of classically call behavior problems to just invite ourselves to take a pause mm-hmm. and go, okay, but let's go as deep in the brain as possible and see lowest in the brain as possible and see if that's related because if I'm start to apply a behavior intervention for an oppositional kid, because they're not doing their schoolwork, which I would never do, but let's just say (laughs) that's where I go. Behavior intervention, oppositional kid. Right. But we've got something so much lower. Mm -hmm. We'll never make any progress if we go at it that way. Right. Yes. Yeah. And which of course Absolutely. you're like, well, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that's but what we do. But we might not, not yeah, we might not be thinking about eyes mm-hmm. when we're looking at a work avoided kid. Right. And right. so for me, as I'm not an occupational therapist, like I'm not trained to treat you know, sensory processing disorder, but mm-hmm. I can put that in my lens, right? Yeah. It's like yeah what's going on with this child and all of their senses and Mm -hmm. how do I support that? And how do I support like their lowest, these lowest parts of the brain, just like you said, to build the foundation. Yeah. And, 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 and one thing I would just say, you know, to your listeners too, and, and you've kind of hit it on that a little bit too, we work really well together and I just would encourage them to reach out and find an OT, you know, that, that will work with them because I don't do what you do. You know, we, we have almost a bachelor's in psychology by the time we get out of OT school, but that doesn't equip me 
to work, you know, especially with the parents and some of the dynamics. And I have learned so much working with you. And then Michael Rimley is another dear friend of mine who, who does a lot of, um, you know, the, the, the mental health, the, the psychology work and yes. things like that too. And, and the, the cortex, the cortical yes. stuff, you know, and he has given me amazing things to say to the kids and how to frame things from more of that cognitive, you know, lens. And so, you know, it's that marriage of working with someone and not having, you know, like you said, that territorial, um, you know, like, but being able to be like, Robin, when you're working with this kid, put him, put him on the swing. Because when I was working with them, I noticed this, you know, and then being open to the feedback that you would give me with different things. And so, you know, I, I love that collaboration and, and I love that when you work with an OT, you start to absorb some things, yeah. right? And you learn some things. And yes. so not only will it help you with that one child, but it'll help you view the other kids that you work with differently as well. And, yes. and again, like, I'm, I, you know, I, I have to be careful because I, I don't want to let everybody hear this and be like, oh, you're all certified OTs, go do your thing. Um, but again, jumping on the couch, spinning, right. looking, right. blowing bubbles. These are all very natural sensory things. It's good to have an OT that you're friends with to say, you know, what direction to blow the bubbles, right. <laughs> you know, right. what, what position to blow the bubbles in, you know, and get a basic understanding of those kinds of things, yes. but don't be afraid to try things and don't be afraid, like you said, to look at the whole body, you know, learn from what we do and, yes. and just take that step back and say, okay, what, you know, what is involved and maybe call an OT friend and be like, there's something going on. I just can't figure it out. And then your OT friend will come in and be like, Oh, it's all on the left side of his body. The entire left side is weak. And, you know, you got to strengthen that up. And then you'll be like, Oh my goodness. Now he sits in his chair and now he no longer falls. And, um, and then if we can train other people too to have that critical lens, then it also gives us more information as the OT to make the diagnosis or not the diagnosis. We don't diagnose, but the, the treatment plan, um, quicker, right? Like if, if you send me a kid and you're like, something's going on with the left side, I'm like, awesome. I can hone in on that. And, and we can work on that too. But yeah, I think, you know, I'm kind of derailing on that. And, and the heart of it is be playful in your, in your sessions, be playful in your homes and, and look beyond the cognitive stuff beyond the words that they're saying, look at the movements they're giving, you know, and, and we talk about the neurosequential, uh, something that's a, a tip for every one of your listeners is when things are rhythmic, rhythmic things tend to be lower in the brain, right? And so when you have a child that's throwing a tantrum and everything is rhythmic about it, the hands are waving in a very rhythmic way. The, the vocal to- tone is, ah, you know, there's, if there's rhythm in those tones and if there's, I hate you so much, Versus I hate you so much, you know, like there's a different (laughs) rhythm in that when a child looks at you and they're like, you don't understand me. I don't like you. Well, they're, they're in their cortex (laughs) because those are chosen specific words. But when they're like, I hate you, you don't understand me, you know, and if it's it's rhythmic like that, then you can be like, Ooh, that's, that's lower in the brain. (laughs) You know, this child needs to be rocked. I need to match them with rhythm. And so when you have a child that's having this fit, you know, and you and I talk about that, you know, uh, match the, um, 
energy. Match, match, the, energy. match the energy, but not yep. the dysfunction, right? That's your yep. words. Um, and I would say match that rhythm as well. Yes. And so when a yes. child comes at you with a really, you know, high, fast rhythm, then you meet them with that rhythm. And, and anybody can do that. Any person, parents can do that. Therapists can do that. School bus drivers can do that, right? Yes. If you've got a whole school bus of kids, you know, get them on the same rhythm right. and then bring them into the calm rhythm that you want. And so, you know, that's just a, a tip as well of yes. how do we know where in the brain they are? Look at the rhythm and repetition, you yeah. know, because that's lower brainstem. Yes. And, and in my, in the, the movement training that I teach for therapists, mm-hmm. I talk about like, you be really keen observers and see if you can take what they're already doing and uh-huh. co-organize and co-regulate it. So just like you said, like if, if a kid, you know, the, the psychotherapist who's like spinning, really, I can spin. It's like, well, if you have a child who's like all over the place and like doing like handstands and you know, you're noticing that things are happening vestibularly, but it isn't feeling very organized. Like it feels kind of out of control. Like it feels sort of yucky in your body. It feels like the child's got to be kind of uncomfortable to be doing what they're doing. Look, be a keen observer and look and be like, okay, is there something that I can do that would almost kind of metaphorically like lean in to this child's body movements and how they're being, but offer something that could be supportive and co-organizing and co-regulating. Like they're cluing us about what they need if we just observe. But I know, I know a lot of therapists who would look at that kind of dysregulated behavior, like upside down and over the place. And I'm like here and there, blah, 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 especially because it could Make, be making a mess in the room. It could be accidentally bumping shelves over and then toys are falling over. I, mm-hmm. I know, you know, some mental health therapists that are maybe trained in a little bit different way who would really approach that behavior very differently, like set limits. And yeah. And if the limits were complied with ultimately eventually ending the session is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, let's look at, let's look at what they're doing. See it through yeah. this lens of like all behavior makes sense. Like how can we lean in, but then offer our support to help just co-organize what their body is already doing? Absolutely. And, and I'll go along with that too. You always talk about, you know, we're seeing and, and our, a lot of our own self vision is what others see in us. Right. And so then we'll get into that, the whole mirror neuron, right. And the whole, when you see someone and they're doing what you're doing, that's a way that we connect and we, and that starts in infancy, right. You know, we make the weird face and the baby makes the weird face. We make the clicking noise, baby, you know, it's that, that playful serve and return that you talk about so much. And when we're in the client, when they're in the room, if you can mirror them a little bit, then two things are happening. One, you're doing a really good activity analysis because you're feeling what they feel. Yes. Yes. And then you can be like, wow, Uh this is, this is the input I'm getting. And so then you have a more understanding of where the child is coming from and you can match that. And then you can say, okay, okay, I'm getting dizzy. What do I do when I'm dizzy? I rock forward and backward 
instead of in a spinning motion. And so then you can playfully gain the attention of the child by mirroring them. And there's, you know, there's therapies in the OT world, like floor time, you know, that's really based on mirroring that child and making that connection. And so even if you just kind of mirror what the child is doing, that becomes parallel play, that becomes connection, that becomes relationship. And it gives you insight of, wow, this kid is not thinking about the next thing he's going to destroy. (laughs) Because when I'm spinning and running around like this, I have no cognitive thoughts. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, and I'm trying to access my cognition and I'm having trouble. And so it builds that empathy for you of what is their motivation. And you're like, wow, you know, when they're spinning around like this, you know, my eyes don't see anything. So maybe the child is trying to avoid looking at something. And this is a way, you know, that's too much, whatever you're trying to get them to sit down and focus on, you know, they're like, that's, that's, that's too painful for me, you know? And, and again, I, I, I don't know because I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but you know, if I was going to be like, let's draw a picture of your family. And they had to look at this family that was not a pleasant experience for them, you know, and then they start running around the room. Well, they're not looking at anything at that point. And so when you mimic them, you're like, wow, I can't focus on anything. So this is a really good avoidant tactic for them. And so maybe I should just not ask them to look at this photo. <laughs> and maybe that is the base of this, interaction. And maybe I could say, you know, let's build it out of Play-Doh or do something more physical, or, you know, can I change the way that I approach whatever it is you're trying to, to work with, you know, and does it feel different to me when I, you know, talk about the family with, with figures or dolls versus drawing them on paper, you know, and just feeling, you know, kind of where the child is. And again, you know, if you're, and, and and again, I just because I'm trying to educate your listeners a little mm-hmm. bit too, it's that whole look at the rhythmic, you know, is it rhythmic? Is it patterned? When things are patterned and rhythmic, the child's trying to calm down. So you can, you know, you've stressed them. <laughs> Essentially, if they start rocking, if they start humming in rhythm, and they start yelling at you in rhythm, you know, that's a stress response. But if it's more irrhythmic, where, you know, it's things are up, and then they're down, and there's no real direction, like you can't really predict where they're going next, and they're sporadic all over the room. That's a child that is um, lacking um, alertness, you know, like they're trying to wake themselves up. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they didn't sleep well. You know, maybe they don't feel good. You know, those kinds of things that child is seeking information where the rhythmic child is avoiding information. I wanted to pause the episode real quick and read you this testimonial from one club member. This person writes in, the club has been life-changing for me. For me, feeling alone in the stress and the overwhelm of parenting a child with complex trauma has been traumatic. Here in the club, we are finding healing for ourselves by feeling seen and heard and validated, even though we may have come here for our children's healing. Oh, y'all, that is exactly what I'm trying to do in the club to create a space that's for you that also brings healing to your kids. So the club's open for new members until April 28th. We'd love to have you. RobinGobel.com slash the club. All right, let's get back to the episode. 
Right. I also would think that that child that's more erratic and irregular, that could be a sign of a child who's so stressed that they're moving into a state of collapse. Yes. And so the waking upness is uh-huh. how do I bring my nervous system kind of up and out of collapse instead Absolutely. of down and out of sympathetic yep. arousal. Yep. So it can be kind of tricky because it's almost a little counterintuitive, right? The mm-hmm. super erratic child doesn't necessarily look like they're falling into collapse, but yeah. I do, I do, I have found personally that like in my own work and then with coaching parents too, that's like. The be- just the more we do it, the more we use this lens of how we're seeing behaviors and then feel into it too. Like I'm always teaching parents and therapists pay attention to what they're noticing in their own body yeah. to get for clues about maybe what the child is experiencing, the more then we can use what we know about the child and what they need to, to again, kind of offer experiences through movement, through play, as opposed to words like calm down or, or even, even things that are a little less silly, use your words. calm down. <laughs> yes. Use your words or exact. Yeah. Use your words or even just talk, just talking too much or verbalizing too much or tell me how you're feeling like these things that are so well-intentioned and yes. we find, you know, really trying to pull out our attunement skills by talking about feelings, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's the talking about part. <laughs> That's actually being experienced as misattunement, even though we're trying so hard to be, to be attuned. And then the other thing I want to tackle on to what you said about, um, you know, the, when we are, you know, really engaging kids this way and, and, and how we see them and our mirror neurons and all that kind of good stuff. The other thing that I think is so powerful and being with kids in this way and like, you know, if you have a child who's starting to be really dysregulated and they're moving their bodies a lot, and as you start to kind of do it too, to mirror them, not only are, are like our actual mirror neurons going on, but that child experiencing you as somebody who's seeing that child as someone who needs help, mm-hmm. as somebody yeah. who's, who's, whose behaviors and movements make sense in some way. And that's a new experience for the child, right? Because they're usually being seen by adults as your bad stuff that. Yeah. And and it's a great relational. Yes. So relational. And it is a way to feel, you know, that's, that's how we make friends is by doing the same stuff. We start with parallel play, right? (laughs) You know, that's the whole go around the room and find someone who has your favorite color. We want to be the same with the people that we're connecting with. And so just matching a movement with someone is like, Hey, I can do the same things you are. I'm similar to you. I'm trustable. I, you know, like it's a great way to just get that foundation of the relationship. And often with the most dysregulated kids that I work with, that's where I will start is just trying to, you know, match them in some way, you know, can I match their hand movements? Can I match the way their head is moving? You know, it doesn't have, I don't have to be running around doing the full, you know, they, they crash into my sandpit, you know, I crash into my sandpit, but I can rock. And that was, you know, one of the things I talked about was, uh, with, with, uh, an agency I was working with was the child was running around and they were destroying things, you know? And so she just started to rock her body in the same you know, kind of 
movement. Like if you could envision his heartbeat, right? right. And she just kind of rocked her body back and forth to his heartbeat rhythm. And, and he noticed that in his periphery, you know, yes. and then it was, and then slowly she was able to rock a little bit slower. And then that brought him down because he matched her, yes. you know, and then they came in and that's something in the office that you can do too, because then they feel seen, they feel connected. You know, it's that connecting that we're always trying to, to do. Yes. Yes. Okay. So there's two things I definitely want to ask you for my listeners in this particular season series before we wrap up. One is when it's not uncommon for parents to feel like I can tell that my child will benefit from both occupational therapy and mental health therapy, which one should I do? And I want to tell you what I usually tell parents. And then you tell me if this is good or not. (laughs) I usually will tell them. Most families, many families can't do both at the same time. Like it's just a lot of stress on finances and time and scheduling. And you probably have other children and all this kind of job and all these other things, right? Like life. (laughs) If you can't do both at the same time, Mm -hmm. start with occupational therapy. Does that feel like the right answer? I'm so glad you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was like, are we going to disagree on this? (laughs) Wouldn't that have been fun? (laughs) That would have been fun. Um, but yeah, I, because if the body's not stable, yes, you can't move forward. And oh. so of course, but again, you have to understand I am an OT. So, yeah. so I think it's more valid for your listeners to hear you recommend that than me, because of course I'm going to be like, no, they have to see me first. Yeah. Um, but what I would say is get on the waiting list for a good psychologist. Uh, no, I mean, I, I do think that in an ideal world, they, yeah. and with the right team, Yes. You know, there's so much to be said for, for both, especially if, um, the mental health treatment really involves parents and parent support and parent training. Um, because I think that that is always such an important piece of the equation, but that the, you know, you know, I, I, I just wrote an article and I was like, well, if I'm going to earthquake proof my house, mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and get real focus on the foundation and worry just a tiny bit less about like how well the pictures are nailed to the wall. Like both yeah. are helpful if an earthquake comes through, <laughs> but if exactly. the house collapses because the foundation is too weak, it doesn't There's matter no how yeah. well the pictures are nailed to the wall. And yeah, so let's sure. start with the very bottom and really strengthen that foundation. And I do think that there are many mental health therapists that are getting more and more trained in um, body-based work and movement-based work. And, and we're seeing less of a distinction between like the mind and the brain. And there's still limits to what is inside my scope of practice as a mental health therapist. Um, that occupational therapists are so much better equipped at supporting families through really helping to like co-organize and co-regulate these lowest parts Mm -hmm. of the brain. So you may have heard that the club is open today for just a few days for new members. And I wanted to share with you what this club member said about her time in the club. This member says, I was way more successful handling a stressful situation than I would have been a year ago. And it is truly a result of the material I've learned through Robin and the club. 
Oh my gosh, y'all. I love, love, love hearing that. There's no way that we can promise that the stress from your kids is going to change because we're just not in control of anybody else but ourselves. But what we can do is work to change how we respond to those stressors. And that's what we do over in the club. We are open for new members from now until the 28th of April, and we would love to have you. Yeah, thank you for that. Because, and I agree full heartedly. You know, and, and in a perfect world, you have a team of both, you know, yes. that work together and, you know, and, and we'll be able to communicate with each other. And if you don't, you know, try and open that door for them and yeah. see if they're open, yeah. you know, to having those conversations. Yes. So absolutely. hundred percent agree. Perfect. Okay. So the other thing I want <laughs> to touch on before we start to wrap up is, yeah, aside from just the fact that we clearly were like instant friends because of our personalities, <laughs> what I loved about your work with families and why I referred so many families to you when I lived in Austin is because of the approach that you took, which was so family collaborative. And as opposed to this like hour a week of occupational therapy, you worked so closely with families and parents on how to do what you do theoretically (laughs) in the home. Right. And that, you know, Dr. Perry has, I feel like talking more about, maybe he's always used this language, but I've really heard him say so frequently lately, this idea of moments of healing, moments of healing, right? Mm -hmm. Like as opposed to a 45 minute OT session a week where, and maybe in addition to how can we equip families Mm -hmm. to engage in these like moments of healing. Cause if we really want to strengthen the foundation of the brain, mm-hmm. it takes a lot more than 45 minutes a week. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that for me, Marty is one, that's what you're, why I love to referring families to you is you're so good at empowering parents to do this, but also like where your book comes in. <laughs> Thank you. So let's talk well, a little bit about your book and how that, you know, if so many families don't have access to someone like you, they don't have access to an OT who's going to really pull them into sessions and really work from a relational standpoint and really teach them how to create moments of healing at home. So talk about your book and how that could be supportive for those families. Okay. Well, three things I have to talk about. One is the, the 45 minutes and giving a background of when I'm working with a stroke or muscle or some sort of like a physical thing as an occupational therapist, because we do a large range of things Yes, that I can do in 45 minutes and I can stretch the muscle. And then the muscle takes that 24 hours to 48 hours to heal and to correct. So the model of occupational therapy was kind of built on that where we're working with muscles and we're working with the spine and we're working with, you know, those types of things and, and like cooking and the ADLs or activities of daily living. So the model was made for a very great functional thing, but when we're looking at more, but when we look at trauma and we look at relational things and we're looking at the sensory system, the sensory system it cannot attend for more than 
three to five minutes, right? So when you have to dissociate, and Dr. Perry talks about this too, like you do a little bit, you know, dosing is what he calls it as well. So you get a little bit of a dose and then you have to step away. You've got to dissociate for the brain to reorganize and know where it's going to put that therapeutic input. So it's not like the physical rehab when we start talking about neurology. So that is why if I'm doing a 45 minute session, the brain is taking breaks every two, three, five minutes, and I'm only getting two or three doses in. And repetition cannot happen in two to three times. The baby doesn't take three steps and start running. The baby toddles for months. And every step that they're taking, they're building those neural connections. And then they fall and they rest and they take a break and then they get back up. And so when we're building neural connections, you have to have the breaks in between. And that's key to the carryover. So if I want to get a thousand repetitions and I'm only seeing you for 45 minutes and I'm not talking to the parents, I'm going to get four repetitions a week. You're going to be in my therapy session. You're going to be seeing me till you're 16. That is not functional. (laughs) And so that's why in my practice, it is so important for me to bring the parents in. And, you know, I encourage therapists to find our parents to find someone that allows them, you know, to understand what the carryover is going to be. And, you know, if I'm like, Hey, have them use their left hand more, you know, or, you know, play this peekaboo game or whatever sensory thing I'm trying to get into. I'm wanting to do that a thousand times. So that's the one thing is absolutely it's the dosing, you know, and it has to be smaller doses, but more frequent than what most typical therapy sessions are. The second thing I will say is exciting news. It is out in the public now, the National Associ- or National Alliance of Trauma Responsive OTs and the Trauma-Informed uh, OT group on Facebook. We, uh, there's a several therapists now, I think we're up to several thousand. Mm-hmm. We are trying to do just that. We're trying to change the movement and help bring awareness to other occupational therapists of let's stop doing these 45 minute sessions. Let's bring the families in. How can we actually consider that neurosequential model? How can we consider how trauma has derailed some? How can we change the way we interact and have a less behavior-based approach and more compassion-based approach? And and we're trying to equip therapists. And so Hmm. like, I'm actually part of the movement of we're trying to, you know, create resources for people and connect people. And, you know, we're hoping to launch in October. And so that's another exciting development. So um, exciting. You can't find me. So exciting. <laughs> I don't want to take on everybody in the world, uh, but I want to equip other therapists to be able to be ready to equip to take them on. So that's very exciting. And then, um, darn, what was the third thing? It was actually addressing your, oh, my book. Yes. Right. I was like, there was a thing we were going to talk about. Well, so yeah, that's when you're like, oh, I'm forgetting about my book. <laughs> this is why I'm not good at marketing. Um, so. I get excited about helping the people and then forget the the resources. My website, you know, if you go to creativetherapies.com, I always forget that I have Calmer as well, which is an online tool that you can just enter in the behaviors and it'll give you some activities. Um, Everybody talks about that. They're like, oh, there's this really cool website. (laughs) One time I was like, oh, that's my website. That's my website. Okay. So everybody listening, you even sort of just really glossed over that. So I will, Marty's talking about this really amazing, uh, would you call it an assessment? Is that the right word for it? Yeah, I'd call it an okay. assessment. Yeah. Um, it's online. It's free. It's, um, I will link to it in the, in the show notes so that everybody can just go right to it and um, look at 
filling out an online assessment of like, what is your kid doing? And then here are like these recommended body-based, essentially yeah. mostly all body-based interventions. Yeah. 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 Pretty crazy. Yes. Uh, but, but that's what happens. You know, I developed that because yes. I was t- doing training and the people were like, how do we know these activities if you're no longer in our pocket? Right. And I was like, well, I'll have my husband write you an algorithm. <laughs> and then Dr. Cross, <laughs> I kept getting upset with him, not upset, like in a very playful way, but you know, they give me an hour, they give me an hour and a half, you know, you're, you're having me on this podcast for 40 minutes. Like right. I can't do things in 40 minutes. There's so much I want to say. Right. And so Dr. Cross was like, write a book, you know, and put all the things that you don't have time in an hour, an hour and a half, put it in a book. And so I was like, I could do that. I've never written a book before. I don't even read books, but of course I could do that. Like, (laughs) so, so that's what the connected therapist is. Basically, if someone were to allow me to have eight hours of your time to really go specific into the different systems. And this way, you don't have to listen to me for eight hours. If your child is having primarily vestibular issues, you can just fast forward to that chapter. And uh, so, yeah, that's what the book was written because I really wanted to inspire people to understand not only um, do we all have different ways of viewing things and a little bit of the neuro foundation and, and the familial foundation of that. And it's kind of a little bit of my journey as well, because mm-hmm. I used to be a very behavior-based therapist. I was an occupational therapist that was very, you know, first, then, if, then, you know, very mechanical. And when I discovered TBRI and, you know, Dr. Perry, you know, kind of took me under his wing, I was like, oh, 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 people have emotions. <laughs> Wow. That did not occur to me. And, and just how it changed my own life and my own parenting as well. And just the lens that I look through. And so I wanted to write a book that both kind of chronicled my journey into being more compassionate and empathetic, as well as if I had eight hours of unlimited time and could teach parents and therapists and other OTs about the sensory systems and how trauma will, you know, impact them. Yes. then that's what I want to write. And so that's what I wrote. I yes. Wrote that's what Crazy. you wrote. And it's amazing. And one of your top gifts, you have many, but one of your top gifts is, um, practical, right? Like yeah. you so quickly, so quickly have, can take this like big concept and go like, Oh, we'll just go take this thing that everybody has in their house and do this with it. You know, like you make everything accessible, practical and fun. Thank you. It's just exactly what parents, uh, especially, you know, I think all parents see that stuff, but especially if you've got a a kid with big behavior problems, you know, practical and fun are extremely important. So y'all, if you haven't grabbed Marty's book, the connected therapist, it Mm -hmm. is a must. I mean, I really think it's a must have for people in their kind of parent book library. And really you can like flip to the chapter and be like, Oh, X, Y, and Z fun activity would probably help my kid. I mean, it would take you 20 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal. You know, I kind of look at it. I've been training. I've been doing trainings around the world for 20 years Yes, and for 20 years, I've always been like, any more time. (laughs) So, so this is what, if I have more time and it's also the, what things am I asked the most, you know, when I'm doing these trainings, what are the questions that they ask me? And so I've tried to be like, okay, if I'm doing a training, this is what people want to know. And so I'm going to write it in a book. And then my friend Holly edited it and she made it actually sound like a book, which was pretty exciting. (laughs) 
<laughs> it is just perfect. It truly is perfect. So Marty, thank you so much. And of thank course, y'all listening who love Marty, don't worry, she'll be back because <laughs> I plan a podcast for a long time. And Marty, okay. there's like a million things we could keep talking about. Um, and I just love being with you. So and, and likewise, absolutely. Yeah. Likewise. I always enjoy time with you, whether it's in person, online, virtual podcast. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it, we think alike and we have the same heart and compassion and yeah, I just love working together. and I love the people that you work for too. You know, yes. There are yeah, people. <laughs> they are our people. We both love them. And that's the other part of my podcast too, is like, I've been trying to be so deliberate about like, I want, I want to introduce my audience to people who love them as much as I do, because it's really easy for parents of kids with really big challenging, baffling behaviors to only interface with professionals who don't really like them very much because they experience their family as difficult, you know? And so if I can help remind these families that like, no, there are people out in the world who love you because you're lovable and you're, you know, perfect and wonderful. You just happen to have a kid who really struggles and that's very stressful. So and and we do the best we can with what we we have. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what, when I'm super stressed out, I'm not always behaving my absolute very best. And (laughs) I don't expect the parents of the kids that I work with to always be behaving their very best. And I adore them anyway. And I know you do too. So thank you for being on this journey with me and, and for these families. And I can't wait till we think of the next thing we're going to talk about. That sounds great. Thanks for having me, Robin. Take care. It's hard to even know what to say now. I mean, Marty is just one of those people that I sit back and wonder, how did I ever get so lucky to come to know you? She is a wealth of resources and knowledge. And I've put live links to all the things we talked about in this episode into the show notes and over on my blog at robingobel.com slash occupational therapy. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. I'm really, really grateful for you. Thank you for your commitment to kids and to families and to making the world a better place by embodying the science of relationships. See you next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, Okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course 
that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash beingwith, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, eBooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.